Welcome to Have You Seen This, the world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten visual media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Have you seen this? I'm Jennifer Albright. And I'm Tim Heidrich. Before we get started, I want to shout out some of our patrons who have very generously uh, joined our $2 a month tier. If you would like to donate to our Patreon, which again is a fucking deal at $2 a it's month. It's a steal. You, yeah. Yeah. And you get access to all our bonus content, which uh, includes an extra episode a month. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash have you seen this. Anyway, just to Shout out some fine folk who are, uh, you know, helping to support the show. Uh, first, uh, hello to Julia, who brought a very cool movie to my attention and actually will soon be appearing on the show. So keep an eye out for that. Thank you, Julia. Uh, Dan F., thank you. Uh, the Mysterious Moogrim. I don't know your actual name. I'm just going by your uh, your handle. That is um, very mysterious. <laughs> uh, Alex B., also, thank you. And uh, finally, Joel, thank you for the recommendations of uh, Movies to Cover as well. So, And thanks again to all our patrons who we love. You can always message me on the Patreon or you can drop us a line at info at haveyouseen.us uh, for suggestions, a program, um, you know, anything that comes to mind. Yeah, so, it's great to have you know, people who are this uh, invested in, in the show. It actually is really cool to get feedback and suggestions. Like, we really enjoy reading your messages and interacting with you guys on Twitter. Again, yeah, the Twitter... Otherwise, we're the, just shouting in the wind, really. Yeah. Again, the Twitter is uh, histpod, um, H-Y-S-T, pod. That's on Twitter. Uh, come tweet at us. Uh, anyway, what are we talking about tonight, Tim? Uh, well, uh, first we got to roll for initiative and find out who gets to talk first. <laughs> Make sure you brought your character sheets because we are talking about mazes and monsters. The uh, I, I guess the uh, entree to demonology and uh, Satan worship that, as you recall, uh, killed killed hundreds of people in the eighties uh, is now not spoken about uh, because of uh, what a, a cultural uh, fiasco it was, and just you know in reverence for the dead, um, yeah, people it's... stopped playing role playing games entirely. It certainly didn't get a massive sales boost from the, the moral panic that resulted. That is, uh, the real-life Mazes and Monsters, Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and uh, Dragons, yes. Which some of you nerds may be familiar with. Right, yeah. Some of you uh, film podcast listening nerds might also be huge dorks and play role-playing <laughs> games as well. Now, I've played it, I've only played it a couple of times, uh, but I've run in nerd circles forever because I am a pathetic nerd. Um, but Tim, you have done like actual campaigns, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm actually running Traveler right now, which I mean, if anyone uh, wants to join that. Uh... Yeah, like actually, if you guys love the game, the RPG Traveler, uh, please 
get in <laughs> touch with Tim. Again, info at haveyouseen.us because Tim loves himself some fucking traveler, let me tell you. Yeah, I don't want to do a whole sidebar on that, but I could. <laughs> uh, that, I mean, I'm running that in Call of Cthulhu. I have a weekly D&D game. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty uh, up on uh, things role-playing game related. And I got to tell you, this Amazes and Monsters thing, 100% accurate. Can't tell you the number of friends I've had, you know, who have since committed suicide, you know, because their character died. And it's like, well, you know, you take a roll of the dice and that's what happens. Suffice to say, um, the broader culture had a little bit of trouble accurately depicting uh, role playing games, I think, because it's a fairly dense subculture and it really it really appeals to some people. Yeah. Um. And other people, you know, um. I don't want to say most people, but you know what I mean. Like it's average it's people. Say it normies. With, yeah. yeah mundanes, say it with spite. Muggles. Yes. You laugh at me because I'm different. I laugh because you're all the same. Man, that is so um, true. <laughs> to put it non-pejoratively, it's a niche interest. And D and D was created, I think, in the. It was about the mid '70s, correct? Yeah. Um, mid '70s. Yeah, and it wasn't a, a new, new thing. It kind of came out of a tradition of wargaming and, you know, historical reenactment. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, being niche, um, this, and poorly understood to outsiders, um, that freaks people out. And, you know, that's where the moral panic aspect comes right. from. Right, yeah, it, it freaks people out, like, you know, music that's a little more edgy than Buddy Holly, or it freaks people out in that it's, you're looking at TV, but the TV isn't just playing, you're interacting with it. Or, you know, it, it freaks people out in that, like, you can believe in the notion that there is no such thing as God. You know, people are like, whoa, these are some crazy ideas. You're playing yeah. with, yeah, like you're playing, just the notion that dice have more than six sides. <laughs> like that alone is like that that'll put that'll floor some people. Yeah, you know like uh, just as there were too many sides to the dice today there are too many genders, am I right? <laughs> yeah, that's a great way of putting it. It really, <laughs> it really brings it up to, you know, uh to to kids of today. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. They Fe- now, now they have a frame kids. of reference because uh you know, it's not like like D&D has like long outlasted the uh the cultural hysteria and is still played all the time. But anyway, um yeah. And it is kind of funny because, um, you know, uh, D&D has, I don't want to say like outlasted the legacy of this this movie, um, but it's just... It uh, has endured. Well, I'd say like, you know, we'll say telefilm because, oh God, it is such a TV movie. But it is really more interesting as a footnote for a few reasons. Again, the Dungeons and Dragons uh, Satanic Panic of the 80s, this movie came out in uh this movie came out in 1982 and also the fact that it was the first uh major film role for uh tom hanks that is about the only thing that's significant about it anymore yeah because and if it um you know if not for its young star who was 26 at the time i don't think anybody would who wasn't deeply interested in the history of role-playing games and um you know, cultural hysteria would give a shit. Yeah, I mean, we'd be watching this on a, a free Roku channel. <laughs> oh wait. Uh, yeah, it's it's on it's on Prime and it's on Roku for free. Like, don't like you watch it on one of the free streaming sites. Like, it's it is so not worth paying for. 
hell it's not worth seeing yeah uh, like it's kind of um i mean not to it, you know <laughs> short circuit the episode but you know what forget it <laughs> yeah okay we're done yeah all right so uh yeah, how else are things yeah really what is interesting about this film is the cultural circumstances surrounding it yeah more um, than the work itself but yes like there's like one interesting shot in yeah, the it, movie. it's it's really sort of like ev- like everything around it from you know the book and the movie are sort of hysteria detritus. I think is probably the best way to describe it. So I this was <clears throat> based on a book which was based on an actual um it was based on an actual case based on um, actual events. Yes, based on actual events. I read the book and I I made Tim read it because <laughs> I was I was genuinely curious about uh, you know because Tim being a writer I wanted to know what he thought about the adaptation adaptation from page uh, to screen yeah. yeah and you owe me for that by the way <laughs> um, yeah the, the I'll buy fun- the next little Caesar is uh, hot and ready great um, yeah the uh, is is in- the movie is interesting too in the same way that you have weekly moral panics on like. Uh, 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 with like uh, NCIS or any police procedural or SVU, uh, they always they'll they'll do like a you know kind of cultural outrage of the week. Yeah, yeah. So you see that like the the legacy of uh, sort of moral panics is still there, albeit it's really more of a you know news travels faster. We're a more interconnected society now. So that we we can't just have like one pervasive moral panic. It can't just be this new role playing game Dungeons and Dragons. It's like what's the latest moral panic of the week? It's it's kind of like the uh, the Daily Show's Trial of the Century of the week. <laughs> it's, it's the same idea. It's like you know what are we going to get upset about now? Like what minor story can we distort and blow out of proportion to you know make people choose sides in some you know morally ambiguous uh, you know uh, thought experiment basically. I would say that Mazes and Monsters is in its own way kind of a minor footnote in this ongoing, um, you know, perennial generational issue of just whoever's with it is no longer with it anymore and they're scared. Yes. Like, like this is maybe the, um, I, I don't know, knee plus ultra of it, um, but uh, there's a better word for it. Um, it Apotheosis? It is, yeah. Maybe it is the apotheosis <laughs> of it, but um, it is just one example of of many that I can't think of off the top of my head. Um, but I, but I feel like one wouldn't need to dig very far to find it. In fact, listeners right now are going like, I can think of three right now. Damn it, Tim! Like, why are you not listing this one? Um, so there, it's an exercise for the listener. Um, well, you know, maybe because um, we've we've meandered a little bit in the beginning, so um, maybe we can come back around to these points at the end oh we've Um, we've meandered like completely away from the film yeah we've been a little bit unstructured but you know i'll bring it uh you know i'll bring it on uh i'll bring it on back like i'll uh you know as the dungeon master of this podcast or maze controller if you will yeah uh i'll bring it back um so this tv movie was based on a book which was based on a true crime case. Now, the book was Mazes and Monsters by Rona Jaffe, um, a popular fiction writer. Um, I think she was probably most known for um, 
or the way that she broke was with a book called The Best of Everything, which came out in the 50s and was about young women in the workplace. And, you know, what I guess now we would think of as kind of a, you know, navigating the the mad men type environment of, uh, you know, sexism and patriarchy. But, you know, this was pre um, uh, this was pre feminine mystique, you know, so it was that kind of a thing. Um, and she wrote some other books, and then I guess in the late 70s, she must have picked up on this uh, news story about a kid who had supposedly killed himself because he popped a rivet while he was playing this weird game, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and if you read her book, which genuinely reads as though it was written in a weekend, mm-hmm. um just it just screams first draft i i could be wrong but that's that's how it seems to me i mean as like even as like beach reading it's like all right come on um i had to fight through this book i yeah there was a point where i told tim like look just like skim to the end it doesn't fucking matter but um you know if you read the book it's obvious that it's kind of a you know it's it's um it's seems to be like a misrepresentation of you know, the world of, of role-playing, you yeah. know, even if you're not that familiar with it, like, I'm, I'm glancingly familiar with tabletop role-playing games, but you're like, is this how they really work? Like, it doesn't seem like that would, to me, but... <clears throat> There's the thinnest <clears throat> of veneers of role-playing-related culture bolted onto a fairly standard story of I don't know what. Yeah, um, but as you read the history behind the book, you realize like, oh, this just isn't true at all. Um, Because the actual case was the story of a teenage boy named James Dallas Egbert III. Um, I think he was referred to as Dallas by friends and family, or if he had friends. He was a a 16-year-old kid who was a computer genius, a prodigy. So... Uh, he was going to uh, Michigan State University for computer science. Now, a 16-year-old kid in a college environment is definitely going to feel like a fish out of water. He had difficulty making friends. Um, You know, he's a smart kind of quirky kid, so he also took drugs, and I'm sure that that was also a refuge for him as well. I think this is true of a lot of, um, you know, really intelligent people that I know, you know, in addition to the the stimulation of drug taking, there's also the refuge that it offers, you know, from real life. Um, plus, he came from a family which put a lot of pressure on him to succeed academically, and he was gay. So this was a very unhappy kid. Right. Essentially, what started the media circus <clears throat> was that he disappeared from his dorm room and he left what looked like a suicide note. Uh, saying something to the effect of, you know, if, when my body is found, have me cremated. Everyone started searching for him. His family freaked out. They hired a private investigator to try to find him. This man's name was William Deere. He later read a, wrote a book about the case, which came out in 1984, uh, Postmazes and Monsters, and which he wrote because he believed that so many details of the story were gotten wrong. Um, when he was poking around the kid's dorm room, He noticed some paraphernalia for Dungeons and Dragons and also some thumbtacks on a bulletin board, which he thought might 
refer to a kind of map. Uh, he also found out that there were students on campus who had been doing a little bit of LARPing, They, which, for those who don't know, that's live action role playing. It's exactly what it sounds like. You go from the tabletop to uh, real life. You put yeah. on, if, you know, if a lot of seen... times... A half a dozen nerds in the forest, one of them shouting lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. You know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you can do, and you can do it with costumes. You can do it with boffer weapons. You know, the the LARP can be as complex or simple as you want it to be. Deer the, got the idea that maybe this kid had lost his mind playing D&D. Um and maybe he was doing what the other kids on campus had been doing, which was playing D&D in the steam tunnels under campus. Um, well, long story short, um, the kid's problems really didn't have a fucking thing to do with D&D. He was a teenage kid away from home, couldn't make friends, struggling with sexuality, um, his family put way too much pressure on him. He had basically gone into the steam tunnels to uh, commit suicide. He took some quaaludes, but he woke up. I guess he didn't take enough. And there's a book, uh, William Deere's book, The Dungeon Master, um, basically lays out the entirety of the story. Uh, what happened was that the kid got out of the steam tunnels and he stayed with um, a couple of older friends. Um, friends. Um, again, and this is another thing which often happens to, um, you know, gay teenagers is that they will turn to often uh, older gay adults, um, you know, just because it's like, hey, we have something in common. And, you know, often there are positive aspects to those relationships, but also slightly negative, you know, because you don't need me to explain that. Older people hanging out with younger people, sometimes it can get... Um, you know, sexually exploitive. And this is this is a very weird um, kind of gray area. And I think this is, um, you know, people, again, you know, to go off the moral panic theme, like people freak out about, um, you know, older gay people hanging out with younger gay people. But this is what happens in a society where, um, you know, gay teenagers are not really allowed safe social outlets. So really, it isn't D&D that's a problem. It's a no. gay community. <laughs> Does that, yes, can we finally pin it on something? I'm glad you've been listening, Tim. <laughs> can we finally blame some marginalized group <clears throat> for this problem? Now, there's a really great novel called The Child by Sarah Shulman, which um, uh, part, of, part of the story deals with one of these relationships. It's, it's really a wonderful look at what queer teens kind of go through like very sad and affecting um so long story short uh dallas went spent some time with some older people for refuge he didn't want to go home yet he actually went down as far as i think louisiana got some work um like in an oil field you know despite the fact that he was this tiny little 16 year old kid um deer found him and brought him back um Sadly, uh, I don't think any of those pressures on Dallas really relented because I believe a year or so later, this would have been in about 1980, he actually completed suicide. So, and, you know, I've read, I've read a lot about this kid and he kind of haunts me in the same way that Venus Extravaganza from Paris is Burning haunts me. You know, again, like a, a young queer kid, you know, 
unf- like gone before their time. It's 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 really like a profoundly sad story to me, and it's it's really sad that his story has been misrepresented in such a way. And instead of actually caring about, um, you know, kind of like like bourgeois expectations of success and the pressure that we put on children, like um, the way that we treat queer youth, you know, things that would be helpful to focus on, you know, we blame everything on a fucking game. Well, it was new at the time. <laughs> it, and, had, it had dice with different numbers on them. That's weird. Yeah, not like regular craps dice. Like yeah. dice with like more than six sides. Like that's fucked up. Or less, if you can even imagine such a thing. What? How does that even work? I, it's it's uh, non-Euclidean <clears throat> geometry. <laughs> I really wanted to tell uh, James Dallas Egbert III's story you know, at least give kind of the real, uh, you know, give the real facts um, instead of the story that was kind of... stated. Thanks, Jen. (laughs) Well, you know, I I wanted to tell the actual story. So now let's talk about the fake story. And now what really didn't happen. Yeah, so essentially Rona Jaffe being a popular writer, I think she wanted to... And I wasn't I wasn't able to confirm this, but there's speculation that you know she wanted to the story seized her imagination, and she wanted to capture it in writing before anybody else got to it. Now, so she was um, sort of a Rupert Holmes of novelizations. Rupert Holmes, the guy who wrote the Pina Colada song. It was a song about a couple of popular trends. <laughs> God damn it, Tim. You see where I'm getting that. <laughs> no, I, I do, but you bastard. Anyway, yeah. so um, she wanted to, to capitalize on the trend. Now, unfortunately, you know, um, writing the story so soon after it occurred, and, um, you know, obviously the media uh, narrative was very distorted, and William Deere, who was actually privy to the details, um, out of respect to Dallas and his family, didn't really disclose anything i mean you know he didn't he didn't talk about the kids personal problems he didn't talk about his homosexuality in public you know he didn't think it was anybody's business now unfortunately you know um because suddenly everybody got the idea that dungeons and dragons was this crazy dangerous game um deer was then obligated to write his own version of events maybe like a little too late you know because it came out a couple years after mazes and monsters it was a panic based on a fantasy yeah Exactly. Um, you know, you, people get like half a detail and then they extrapolate an entire story out of it. So yeah, it with the preconceived narrative. Yeah. Yeah. So you get this novel and TV movie about a, a college guy who's playing mazes and monsters. Well, it's a group a... of four friends who are obsessed with this game in yeah. a way that isn't really um, articulated. Only yeah. in that they are obsessed with it. Like, and I, I feel like I'm going to go back to referring to the book a lot again because <clears throat> the nature of a book is you can get a little bit more granular with the detail. You can see a little bit more into the characters' yeah, heads. You want to, yeah. Well, you know. Um, I mean, Rona tried. She she tried. <clears throat> um, not very well, but she tried. Yeah. Um, you know, um, because she gives a little bit more of a portrait of the characters, you know, um, 
much, and she kind of took the James Dallas's, uh, the third's life details and kind of spread them among her characters. You know, these are four college students. Um, they have a genius uh, computer programmer is one of yeah. them, which I mean, I could see that. Yeah, that's yeah. And the, the gag, um, which they, uh, not the gag, but you know, the bit that they do in the movie is that, uh, and it's also in the book is that, uh, he is like a computer genius. And what he really wants to do is, uh, make video games. Heck but yeah. Parent- he could go work for Atari. Yeah, but his parents want him to be like, uh, yeah, they want him to make to program mainframes for IBM. Boring. They want him. They wanted to be like Richard Pryor in Superman three. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. (laughs) But you know, maybe his parents were smart because um, you know this was right on the cusp of the great video game crash of the early eighties when the bottom fell out of the market. So I don't know. I mean, (laughs) just because like the market crash, it doesn't mean that you couldn't find work if you were you know a good enough developer. Like you could Uh, still you you could go work for Sierra. The market crashed and video games weren't a thing anymore. They're not a thing. Okay, so I guess it's done. All right. Well, like the the story ended with uh, the ET game from Atari. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna go play Zork. You you can believe what you want. <laughs> but yeah, so there's the genius, um, the the genius computer programmer who also gets laid a lot because he's like really hot. Um, Which now that is pure fantasy. <laughs> there's the girl. Yes. Um, who Guess what her defining trait is. The she's 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 a girl. No, no, it's that she was a rape victim. Oh, that's right, which they don't even do in the TV movie. Well, um, they also cut out um, him, uh, one of the characters after his psychotic break being a uh, rent boy briefly. Oh, yeah, like they couldn't, there, there was a little bit that they cut out in this. Yeah, well. Because, um, you know, standards and practices of... Uh, some of uh, it for the better. They cut out two. They cut out section two of the book. They cut out a quarter of the book, which thank God for that, because the <laughs> book doesn't start in any like usefulness until about a page 160 of a 300 page book yeah um there's yeah there's there's a lot of filler and again it really feels like a first draft where um and you know rona jaffe's stock and trade kind of being um you know mid upper middle class to wealthy women's inner lives there's a lot of um there's a lot of material in the book where she'll suddenly detour into telling you what uh, Kate's mom yeah. is thinking about, like what her life was like before she got married. You know, life was so full of promise, you At know, least... when she married, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, and then and then it becomes like the fucking ice storm. Yeah, <laughs> At least two of the characters mothers get chapters of their own. And I'm yeah. like. And I'm like, where are the mazes and monsters in the book called Mazes and Monsters? Yeah, and it's like the kind of thing where it's like, okay, maybe this is good character texture. You know, if you're writing a novel and you want to kind of think of the, you know, the family of origin, like, you know, what would have affected these kids growing up? You know, um, like Robbie's, that's uh, Tom Hanks' character in the movie, like his mom is an alcoholic. Yeah, but that Um, is a stretch to say the least. Like it it does not (laughs) figure into one kid's sudden psychotic break. Well, you know what it um it uh it pushes the book to three hundred pages, so you know, hey. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I did appreciate that the first four chapters establish our four um like endearing you know young prodigies, and it's yes. like, oh well, which one of them is gonna die? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and like um. So and then after that, it take it swiftly downhill for in the next uh, one or two hundred pages. Yeah, definitely. So like um, and you know, and then the the movie the movie you know does that in like much abbreviated fashion, you know, because that's that's the nature of the visual medium. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, um, time is very much compressed. But it really does. It, he was pretty closely to the book again, probably because you know, again, like TV production is very accelerated, and they're like, "Hey, this book was a success. Let's very quickly adapt it." Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Anyway, um, we talked about Daniel, the computer prodigy, um, uh, Tom Hanks' character in the movie Robbie. Um, his his parents are just kind of shitty and argue a lot, and his mom's an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate, like her thing is that her her dad like you know skipped down her family, and now he's like a a swing in. I don't want to say swing in bachelor. Like I, he's got a a new wife with like big titties. Yeah, he's the his midlife crisis dad. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like uh, you know, he probably he probably put put a jacuzzi in his new place. You know. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, this is a 1982, baby. Yeah. Um, so, and, and really, uh, what we're trying to say, though, is that Robbie's bad mother is the reason that he went crazy. <laughs> you could have just written that in the title. Um, and then there's JJ, who's... Uh... Insufferable. My God. Oh, God. <laughs> he's, he's memorable as, like, the worst, like, stereotypes of, like, just insufferable theater people. Yeah, like, you legitimately wonder, like, why isn't this kid, why isn't he hanging out with the theater kids? Because that's, like, and he's even like, well, you know, like, I want to be an actor, you know. Yeah, it's like, but do that then. he's this annoying little precocious shit who wears, like, like, the first time you see in the movie, he's wearing, like, a Kaiser helmet, like, yeah. on his way up to his, his apartment Yeah, to see and his he, mom. He's, and he's wearing, like, a hard hat, and he's wearing, like, the aviator, like, uh like world war one era like yeah yeah and um he's you know he throws a party for brigitte bardot because it's her birthday um and then at halloween he dresses up like noel coward man this kid is awful like i I wish he was the one that died yeah like he should he should have died in the in the caves yeah but then he probably wouldn't have felt bad well, but then, but then, um, he, and, you know, he kind of, um, he kind of sparks the, the story, like, towards its inevitable conclusion, because he, you know, he's the one who, um, I guess in the universe of the, the movie, he invents LARPing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does, so, you know, credit to, to that, I guess. I mean, someone with a theater background, that sort of makes sense. Yeah. Oh, and he has a, he has a pet minor bird. Yeah. God, Do you remember like, minor birds? Yeah, he's like the um, what was it in uh, Undeclared about like the guy walking around like a bird on his shoulder. It's <laughs> yeah. like he's that guy. Yeah, like the guy who um, just like I, I'm quirky. That's my personality. It's like, mm, is that? Yeah, because we've we've all met that guy who has like a part of a costume or like a a ball python and in you know to kind of cover up his the void of insecurity at the core of his being yeah like Um, wearing makeup when like you don't have a show (laughs) or like or or, you know wanting to talk when like clearly like you know you don't want to talk to this person you've said as much to them (laughs) you know they they always want to play mafia ah or werewolf (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and i guess i guess jj's problem is (laughs) <laughs> I guess JJ's problem is that he has like rich parents and his mom will periodically redecorate his room without asking. Yeah, it's really it's the parents' fault. 
Yeah, and it, <laughs> where were the parents? And it's kind of funny because at the beginning of the TV movie, um, he walks in his room and his mom has decorated it to look like the convent from the devils that's the only yeah it's just uh, everything (laughs) white like white tile white floor white desk white typewriter white lamp yeah but then at the end of the movie um she decorates it like um she does like a bogart movie old hollywood uh morocco set kind of thing and he's delighted with it yeah, although it's one of those things where it's like, um, hey, how do I, like, you know, when I see a woman on the street, how do I show her that, like, I'm not lecherous and I respect her? Like, what do I say to her? It's like, you'd say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that same notion. It'd be like, hey, mom, how, you just don't redecorate my room every six months. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. suffice to say all these kids uh, have problems and... Thus, they're yeah. dorky enough that they want to play mazes and monsters. That's that's how it happens. Yeah, I mean, I can see that wanting to be an escape from their uh, from their um, suffocating parents, mm-hmm. but um, that even that premise is just you know plucked out of thin air too, because the movie does do a better job of just showing how like awful each of their parents are in their own ways, and you can be like, oh, I can see how they'd want a game to it to escape you know their mm-hmm. uh their really uh you know irritating lives mm-hmm. uh and and families and the family dynamic and they make the point in the movie that it's like oh this is a way that you know people uh, uh express you know their or like um face their demons or or whatever psychological problems they have through this fantasy realm which is not true it's a game um, I mean, I, I, true, I've worked through a lot of problems, you know, playing Pac-Man and Legend of Zelda, but that's not the purpose of it, and the movie really does presuppose that. Um, but I will say that, you know, this came out around the same time as, you know, other sort of, like, pop psychology things like, um, like Primal Scream Therapy, for one, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, everyone is messed up, and they have to, like, come up with like any form of entertainment or any hobby is a form of psychological coping mechanisms. And so that, you know, matrix was imposed on the Dungeons and Dragons um, medium, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, and like it probably, um, you know, that's kind of the, the end result of, you know, the rise of psychotherapy, like through the, the 20th century is, um, you know, kind of mining things for their deeper meaning, you know, in, in, yeah. in uh, psycho, I, psychotherapy, I should say psychoanalysis. Um, in psychoanalysis, um, you're mining the unconscious, you know, or the, the family. Yeah. But I mean, again, this, and yeah. you're searching, you're searching for meaning. Yeah. This, but again, this, this presupposes an issue there and it does kind of, you know, it, it imposes, psychological problems on our characters to justify the game as being an outlet for them, a form of escape and for, from which one of the kids went crazy. But again, uh, true to its nature, true to the book and to the movie Dungeons and Dragons or Mazes and Monsters, however one you refer to it plays a nominal role at best. Mm -hmm. Like it is the MacGuffin for a story in which it plays a very small part. It serves to bring the characters together through a, a shared interest, and it moves the story along. But there isn't anything really like in the game itself 
that is that is intrinsic to the game to 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 make these events happen. There are um, you know four players in this game. There's a there's a maze controller and three characters. One of the uh, people playing one of those characters has a psychotic break. Um, everyone else seems to cope with it fine, but it's um, <laughs> it's like if it if it weren't for that, what else would it might have been? In which case, that like if the one thing is fairly interchangeable, then what is the significance of that one thing? So in a way, like the game itself is a background player in its own movie, which I find like the most frustrating aspect of this whole hysteria. I mean, you know, there's even a bit where the the hard bitten detective who they bring in to look for police detective that they bring in to look for Robbie is like Mazes and Monsters is a far out game. Yeah, and it's, it's he wild, names man. like yeah he names all the fucked up things that you can do in it. You know, like there's killings and poisonings and blah blah. blah. And it's like yeah, but it's 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 fake. Yeah, and also what what's with these motion pictures too? <laughs> they depict all sorts of violence and murder and sex. Um, and that well, character, and it's... that character in that scene is straight out of the book too, because that's when they start like sort of um, uh, scapegoating D and D at that point, where you know it's and it is you know because they're like oh anyone can be addicted to games. And they mention gambling, but it, gambling is legal in some places. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, have we had like a moral panic movie about gambling? And was were people burning kids' uh, decks of cards? I don't know. <laughs> um, well, I mean, d- gambling is certainly a, um, you know, I think like in our <clears throat> in our Christian society, it certainly is like, a, you know, something that's like looked down on as like a very low and immoral occupation but you know it's kind of uh, and but you know because casinos are you know for the the locations where gambling is legal casinos are such like economic powerhouses like we've kind of uh all decided to you turn you know, a blind eye to it yeah and be like well you know consenting adults and yeah be know, like despite well, the fact that you know gambling addiction is like a real thing yeah and, like hey gamble just you know don't gamble too much yeah right? yeah <laughs> it's like well okay but yeah, and that point in the book and in the movie, like it does try and you know, kind of absolve itself of all the the problems that led up to this. You know, whether it's the you know the parents or the you know, the kid needing needing psychological help or any other number of things. And you know, the the cop best represents the sort of it's like that's ah, probably this crazy game. Yeah, which essentially is what you know what happened in real life, and I don't think Rona Jaffe was. Uh you know, or the screenwriter of this was, like, necessarily um, cognizant cognizant of it, as, you know, when well, they were here. looking for James Dallas Egbert III, um, they looked at the bulletin board and the paraphernalia in his room and was like, oh, obviously this is something to do with this Dungeons & Dragons game. Well, this is where it gets a little tricky, because, like, this is where the hysteria comes in, because if you watch the movie or read the book, uh, they kind of... Um, they don't really ultimately lay this at role-playing games' feet. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, like the frustrating thing about this is that they don't even make like the scathing indictment where everyone just, just like, you know, they don't do like a moral grandstanding like at the end of SVU or something and be like, yeah, this game is awful. Like, you know, the, the three, you know, the three normals, you know, who were involved <laughs> in this game, like they end up not playing it anymore and is sort of a, 
a stand-in for that um you know that that regular narrative growth about like i was so into this thing and now i don't really care about it anymore which is you know just it's that notion of putting away childish things exactly even, yeah you, you exactly pinpointed the point that i wanted to make so thank you yeah like that's uh because th- there is like a passage at the end of the book which is like the odyssey they had just been through had been their transition to real life they didn't need the game to be friends or for anything else maybe they had once but they didn't need it now yeah and it's like well okay um but even then it's like well was <laughs> again to to borrow another uh you know simpsons thing like you know you didn't do anything like didn't i (laughs) (laughs) and then disappear um but but yeah it was a the game served as part of their growing up which in Mm -hmm. a way is not like a a damning indictment of it it's saying like hey we did a thing and then we learned from it and then we don't have to do that thing anymore which you know you could say they gained experience points (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you know they leveled up oh i get it <laughs> yeah yeah so 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 that's the thing that you know, ultimately the book kind of shies away from it in that you know, the the final part of it and i'm sorry if i'm skipping ahead is no no where, it's fine yeah is where you know the character played by tom hanks um robbie who plays uh uh pardue the holy man uh he has a psychotic break and he ends up looking for his lost brother in new york any of the things um, outside of you know his playing Dungeons and Dragons could have led to that, yeah. Like you know his, the guilt over his lost brother, his shitty home life, potential for you know psychosis and a you know uh, in a uh, you know pubescent teenager in a high stress environment. Mm-hmm. Like those things could have all led to it. And, you know the Dungeons and Dragons thing is a very small part of it. Um, so. So, so yeah, like that. That's the thing is that like even what was supposed to be the uh, focal point for this moral panic is sort of like, yeah, people like this game a lot, and then one guy went crazy. Um, something about steam tunnels, and then um, yeah, he continued to live in a fantasy world, and everyone else moved on. And it's like yeah, and I mean, I guess they don't like um, they didn't think to give him some hell doll or anything because like at the the big twists at the end of the. The movie is that he's still um, caught up in his Pardue delusion. Yeah, um, yeah he's still delusional. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, there are there are drugs and treatment for that. Right. Well, no, can't fix can't fix it. It's magic. Why didn't they just cast Counterspell? Oh, dude. Like that's what I don't get. Or like, you know, revivify, restore person. <laughs> I mean, well, then he um, would have been normal. Yeah, like JJ does use some game jargon to talk Robbie down at the top of the World Trade Center. Yeah. He's about to jump off because he thinks he can fly. You know, he says, I am the maze controller, you know, Um, which, okay, fine. Um, The really funny thing about the book and how it differs from the movie is that um, the search for Robbie in the book is so meandering and his friend's act more like they're taking a fun vacation in new york city yeah they're simultaneously looking for their friends yeah it's like our friend is probably living on the streets like you know crazy and penniless and starving but also like you know we had kind of a nice afternoon out like we went to staten island you know we rode the ferry and we saw you know statue of liberty just like (laughs) yeah you know 
It is the greatest city in the world. What's the worst that could happen to Robbie if we went to MoMA for an afternoon? I mean, come on. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, I just, I, like, since we're here, can I just, like, see Times Square? You know, and I guess it's true that, you know, if your friend has disappeared in New York City, like, you know, the, the utter folly of, like, trying to find someone yeah, in and th- and that New was... New York City is, like, pretty... That's pretty daunting, but... Yeah, yeah, just even in the movie, because they have... Um, and there is a nice... Um, uh, uh, serendipity in that you know, D is based on you know tolkien and you know the the three parts of lord of the rings are you know uh what's it the uh fellowship of the ring the two towers mm-hmm. and then you know return of the king and also in new york there happened to be unfortunately at the time mm-hmm. uh two towers this is set in the east coast there's a nice you know um synergy between those two things and you go oh Two Towers, New mm-hmm. York, Twin Towers. He's at the Twin Towers in New York City. And that's uh, exactly what happens in the movie. Yeah, which again, it's it's kind of simple, but it's one of those things where it's just like you would, you would kick yourself for not using that. <laughs> but And you know what's funny is that that isn't what happens in the book. It's the screenwriter um, kind of drew the additional line from, you know, a reference to, to Two Towers to the World Trade Center in... The book, um, well, in Rob, the book, he's just like, "Oh, I came to the right place because I see two towers." He, it's not, it's not climactic at all, like it right. is in the movie. Which you know, I, I, and you know, props to the screenwriter for dressing up a little bit, you know, adding a little bit more drama to the situation. Because in the book, what happens is that, um, and we get to for, see the World Trade Center, you know. Yeah, exactly. Nice. At the, you know, you get a little bit of a look at uh, vintage New York, you know, when it was when it was really disgusting. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there are oh, crazed the, wizards everywhere. The music that plays when Tom Hanks is walking the streets is hilarious. Yeah, like it's what it's like. It's like this really outside. It gives you this, um, co- this bombastic soundtrack to like the kind of the media image of pre Giuliani New York when it's like, oh man, like you just like they just straight just up kill you there. Stabbed every day, and you know, yep. everything was horrible. Um, oh, not like now. <laughs> but um yeah like um you know there's no there isn't that um strong um dramatic drive in the book like you know um they look for him at a particular homeless shelter you know they just miss him and then later he calls them from that same homeless shelter yeah so they don't find, they don't meet him and then they meet him <laughs> yeah Which, you, and you, you know, know then, all right yeah, so it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad well, this worked out for you guys while you were you're doing your sightseeing tour. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the thing too that you had mentioned about the ending being a bit of a damp squib. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how you're just like, oh, oh, they found him. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's 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 all right again, but he's not. And again, that yeah. last chapter is kind of like, did like the publisher make you write this? Yeah, and then it's, it's kind of like a. Um, it's like the Twilight Zone, but like kind of the the shitty Twilight Zone from the eighties. Oh, or Black Mirror, or <laughs> <laughs> what if your friend was a holy man? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh yeah, and also like as a <laughs> as an aside, um, they they for some reason I don't know like are things like you know elves and fighters and like generic terms like oh those in the public domain because they had to like reskin everything the dungeon master is the maze controller mm-hmm. the um like the paladin is whatever um that that girl is 
Um, yeah, she's a fighter. Yeah, and and uh, JJ is an insufferable, you know, just prat. So he is, of course, an elf, but they don't call him that. They call him a, like no, they can't call him a fairy. That's a little on the nose. Well, he would have been like a like a halfling thief or something. Uh, he's like a sprite. I don't even remember. And he's I, like Puck. Yeah, he's annoying. Um, and then you know, party of the holy man, otherwise known as a cleric, cleric. Which I don't know why they had to dress it up that way, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe like maybe the author didn't want to like lift everything just like wholesale, or maybe there was like a a copyright. I don't know. There's concern. verisimilitude to it, man. I mean, I feel like she probably like bought a D and D book but didn't play it. Like to give again to give credit to William Deere, the detective who located. Um, uh, James Dallas Egbert III, um, he actually played a session of D&D, which uh, takes up an entire chapter of the Dungeon Master. Yeah. And um, Jen sent that to me, and we'll, we'll, we won't link to that in the blog post for this that we won't write. Um, <laughs> but if you have a chance to track it down, it is engrossing. Like, and I'm sure that narrative liberties were taken with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as being a writer telling a story about mm-hmm. another writer telling a story, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it, it captures what sounds like an absolute amazing introduction to whatever D and D game you want to play. Mm-hmm. Like you know, there's um, you know, there's there's conflict and uh, you know, characters who can't who be sure that they trust each other. Like there's so much that is just plain unknown. Uh, you know, there's combat and treasure and powerful wizards and it's just, it's, it is. And dice? And dice. Yeah. They actually are like, oh, and then, then I rolled a nine and I rolled a 13 and just like, oh, okay. That like, it's, it's. A, this episode is brought to you by Chessex. Yes. <laughs> it It is a, um, uh, what I want to, I, I wouldn't just say that it is an accurate portrayal but i would say it is the most favorable portrayal that we've seen in D in all of this yeah and or um role playing games in general the the book appears to still be in print um in a certain way because i was able to get a kindle version from amazon um and i'm sure it is also at your local library um yeah. The secondhand copies are easy to come by. You know, you don't have to go through Amazon. Like, I, I wanted to get it for this particular episode, so I held my nose and went to Amazon. But You know, there are, <laughs> um, shoot, there's another uh, store. I forget what they call them, but you can get books there, and, like, they don't even charge you. Oh, Tim, those don't exist anymore. Yeah, well. They've all been defunded. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I did is... look for it at my local library first. They didn't have it, so. Oh well, I mean, I've I've looked, and you know, I found Mason Monsters. I found um, uh, the Dungeon Master. I mm-hmm. found other you know tangential things like We Believe the Children, other things about you know sort of uh, Satanic Panic around that mm-hmm. time. So yeah, there there are resources to be had. You don't have to. Uh, oh, and um, speaking of um, you know your your local library and and books, like kind of a point that I you know we were discussing um, you know Rona Jaffe's approach to uh tabletop role playing as a as a boogeyman um she doesn't take the tack that a lot of um evangelical christians took in their scare campaign 
against D&D, where it was essentially treated as a gateway to black magic. Well, and you have to consider and, the mindset of the people making this. Um, in that, like, if you believe that there's, like, this all-powerful wizard that, like, makes people do stuff, and then someone comes out with a book with a different bunch of wizards and magic that makes people do stuff, you'd be like, well, this is dangerous. Because I yeah. I can't separate fantasy from reality. Well, you know what? There are people, um, you know, people who are not, you know, to to my knowledge, like, evangelicals or you know strong um devout christians that won't even play with a ouija board oh yeah that's that's like a step too far yeah yeah you know like and you know to me you know to to you and me it's just like like it's a fucking it's a toy it's a it's like you know milton bradley or whatever yeah it's it it is this this evil spirit board made by milton bradley (laughs) like how do you obviously run by demons Right. Well, what is what is the factory where like they capture ghosts like to put into the board? Like, how do you even do that? Like, do they have witches on staff? <laughs> that's that's hilarious to imagine. Like, um, like you're at the Milton Bradley factory, and it's not like machines like stamping out the game board and like the planchette or whatever. Yeah. Like, there's a room which is just like um like dark mages like you know drawing sigils and shit and like you know putting energy into like the Ouija board. Yeah, and yeah. Putting it in like boxes how long, and sending it out. How long do they have to look to find like the right haunted factory to make these in? <laughs> that's a great um boy, that's a great premise for something. Maybe uh maybe a tabletop role playing game. Yeah, hey, well we'll do it we'll put it in one of the uh, extras on uh <laughs> But um yeah, and so um you know, Mazes and Monsters isn't, isn't really this like uh you know, because it's not it's not a novel of the supernatural, you know. It's a novel about um, kind of the, you know, um, broken broken families and, you know, dissatisfaction and alienation at, like, the, on the cusp of the 80s. Yeah. And similarly, like, think of this, because um, this is a thing that I think I mentioned before that ha- happens or happened and possibly still happens in video games, uh, and this is uh, from reading a a book about Atari, is that oftentimes, like, the gameplay and the, what you might call, like, the the theme of a game, Mm -hmm. um, like, the, the, you know, images and characters presented to you have nothing to do with each other. Like, a, there's a, you know, super nerd sitting in a basement saying, oh, this is a fun mechanic that I've come up with, and, you know, he'll show it to you know, like the uh, the suits and they'll be like all right that's neat like i don't know what to do with it um like it's not a, a great game but it's an interesting idea and you know whatever we'll shelve it until we can think what to do with it then um along you know comes you know someone from the uh sales and marketing group that says hey i got the license for ducktales you know we we can make a video game of this and you know turn a profit out of that but here's the thing, like the license is really expensive because it's Disney, so you can't put a lot of time into developing the gameplay of it. So right. that's when, you know, the, uh, you know, whoever the, the project manager is or whoever the, you know, the suits are, they say, oh, well, we've already got like this kind of not great game. We don't have to spend any money into developing it. We can just skin it with whatever licensed characters we have. And then you got yourself a game. Yeah, just take this shitty platformer that we had lying around. And... Yeah, so same happens with Mages and Monsters in that, you know, Ronan Jaffe had a book about 
you know, some characters. I don't know, some people that maybe I'll, maybe she'll write the next Ordinary People. I don't know. <laughs> but then all of a sudden comes along this thing about Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, a kid dying in seam tunnels who then didn't die. Um, but it's, it's like, oh, well, I can move some words around. I can, you know, change uh, this from being about, uh, you know, Primal Scream therapy or about Jim Jones and, you know, instead make it about role-playing games and then you know, I'll have a number one bestseller. Pretty much. Your next hot beach read. Yes. It is It is kind of like ordinary people a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was in the <laughs> same mold. I mean, I haven't read the book Ordinary People, but, you know, the movie, like, isn't bad. I mean, maybe it didn't deserve to win Best Picture of a Raging Bull at the time, but, like, it's actually, uh, like, a very a very well-made movie. Yeah, well, opinion. that's the thing, is that for every well-made movie, there's, you know, a decade of Tarantino rip-offs. Go watch, uh, go listen to episode number six, or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, like, um, so, you know, we're not, we're not dealing with, um, and, you know, speaking of products, um, being rushed out to market, um, and this is something that I've talked with a friend of the show, Mike Rosen about quite a bit, cause this is a little bit of a, a sideline for him. There was an entire cottage industry in books, uh, warning, uh, Christian parents about the dangers of things like he-man and dungeons and dragons and and whatnot you know where these things were treated as literal gates to the the occult yeah yeah because the devil is a literal entity that is sentient and uh lives in i don't know a lava cave underground <laughs> that's that's pretty tight actually um yeah, yeah and so you know and that's well, hey also... get your party of adventures together and go fight him I mean, yeah, I got I think... stats for him. He has 666 hit points. Ooh. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's, I think we evoked it earlier, but, um, you know, Jack Chick, the, uh, the underground comic sensation. Yeah. Um, the, the, your one-stop shop for, um, hysterical, uh, anti-Semitic, anti-Catholic, lunatic, uh, evangelical Christian, screeds yeah and i got a stack of those dark dungeon things but of course it put me on a fucking mailing list i think i had some you know quick notes on the cast um just really quickly um there are some there are some actual names uh playing the parents i mean you know obviously uh tom hanks was not a name at the time i think this was even splash (laughs) no this is pre pre splash yeah i'm saying like that guy went on to do splash i mean that's huge yeah um, and which actually was like a legitimately huge movie that propelled him to stardom. I'm not um, being ironic. I can't tell anymore, Tim. <laughs> Go on. Um, but yeah, so um, uh, Daniel's mom is played by. I don't know Anne what he Francis. did after Splash. That's what I'm saying. Uh, and, and it's, uh, it's it's not important. He 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 didn't really do do much. Well, um, now I'm being ironic. Um, that's the joke. Um. Anne Francis uh, is Daniel's mom. Um, she was uh, the pioneering lady detective, Honey West. You know, that actually wasn't a thing until like her 60s TV show. Or, you know, it wasn't like a common thing. Yeah, yeah, Wild um, Wild West, right. Oh, West, <laughs> she was also Honey in... West. Well, also, Tim, she was in Forbidden Planet. Oh, okay. So you'll like that. She was Leslie Nielsen? <laughs> Yeah. Yes, Tim. Anne Francis was Leslie Nielsen in Forbidden Planet. Man, she's uh, she's got such range. 
<laughs> um, uh, Susan Strasberg has a brief appearance as Kate's mom. Again, uh, daughter of Lee and Paula Strasberg. Um, Stra- um, Lee Strasberg, of course, the famous acting teacher, um, actor studio. Um, and then Vera Miles is Robbie's hateful alcoholic mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, I get, I don't know if it's, I guess her most famous role maybe would be, um, uh, she was Janet Lee's sister who comes looking for her in Psycho. Oh, Julianne Moore. No. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's about as interesting as the cast gets, you know. Yeah. So I guess, I guess in 1982, like people would watch him and watching it and been like, "Oh, hey, that's Honey West." Yeah, in in two scenes. Yeah. So, um, and uh, um. I don't know, like, what else do we have to pick apart? I did like how, um, uh, in the book, uh, JJ calls his dad the fecal lith. Yeah. But on screen, he calls him the boy wonder. It's like, oh, damn, you sure burned him. Yeah, um, they do make a, a quick reference to what the, um, uh, the girl's, uh, dad's new wife, his name is, like, Doreen or something, she calls her Chlorine. Yeah, which they is much more... That in. Yeah, it's, like, much more of a thing in the book because, like, you know, we, we get to spend time with yeah, too much Kate time. and her Yeah, more than we care his, to. Yeah, and, like, his new wife and, like, oh, no, his new wife is pregnant and, like, Kate's like, oh, no, I feel so rejected. I'm going to go out and do risky things, you know, to, to test myself, to prove that I'm not scared, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, and that's me, like, like flipping forward in the book, flicking, flipping backward in the book, like, looking at it sideways, being <laughs> like, uh, where are the Dungeons and Dragons in this? <laughs> well, you know, she, uh, she plays a warrior because, you know, she's trying to prove that she's not scared. Not a scared girl. Yeah. I don't we'll know, see. like, I, again, like, I have not played a lot i i've not i've not played i haven't played a lot of rpgs so like i don't know very much about like character creation or or whatever um well if you like, want to make do, a traveler character we can <laughs> i do i don't want you to cry i was uh it's just such an emotional journey i mean like in your experience as someone who plays role-playing games um do you find yourself putting a lot of yourself into your characters or does it you know are you more like relying on kind of like the luck of the the dice roll or uh well uh yes and no i mean in traveler it's uh very much a luck uh luck of the draw which is the thing that i find really compelling about it uh but a lot of the time in D, like it's easy enough to play yourself because you know that's the character you already know or play something that is completely your opposite because you know it's you getting to try on a different persona for a while you know, and it is mm-hmm. like acting or hell, it is even like, you know, going to a movie or reading a book where you experience something where you you know are immersed in this particular, you know, narrative life. And you know, yeah, like you can get, you know, as much or as little out of it as you need. Like, you know, right now I'm uh, I'm uh, playing a uh, uh, a wizard uh, uh, gnome, which I mean, you know, he's just like you know, this uh, uh, sort of greedy, irresponsible little dude. <laughs> but, you know, you get a chance to, you know, try on different personas. But, I mean, like, that's not so strange and unusual. Like, anyone who's, you know, been to, uh, you know, Carnival is just like, oh, yeah, this is a thing that people have done, you know, throughout history and memorial. Yeah, and I think that in in spite of the fact that it's so common and 
you know, also the, you know, um, even in spite of the fact that role-playing games and uh, similar activities stretch back, like, I mean, you know, beyond the, the, the 21st or 20th century, you know, like you had wargaming and you had people doing like forms of of larping or like you know kind of um historical reenacting yeah yeah costumed uh you know improvisational things um you still will have this resistance and fear of people taking on different personas which is kind of interesting um and certainly um for you know as since I don't, I don't want to say since time immemorial, you know, I'd have to read more about it, but you know, um, certainly acting has been looked upon as like a very low profession, especially for women, like often seen as equivalent to sex work, basically. Um, you know, I, in Shakespeare's time between shows, (laughs) well, you know, in Shakespeare's time there, um, you know, they, the, there was one point when the theaters were closed because they were considered like a, a malign moral, influence um but yeah. and that's there's... when they had reality theater instead and that was just bad <laughs> uh, but you know it was it was still scripted you could tell yeah yeah this is the producer doing all the writing <laughs> but um uh you know any any human activity in which we're exploring um you know um characters or personalities other than our own like they they tend to lead to this like you know reactionary response it's like it's 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 fascinating yeah and so well it's yeah and even you know even like and you know keep i'm like yes i will stereotype like you know i've run in nerd circles for many years like look at the people who play you know role-playing games like these are not you know these are and you know i'm not even gonna say like um well yeah take any of them like wouldn't you rather be a different person for a while oh snap but well you know i am one of those people yeah exactly like but you know there are people exactly like any other again if you are have been part of like nerd subcultures you know you you know it's a it's a cross-section just like any other um aspect of life you know like school work um you're gonna meet good and bad people you know it's not um and you know these um uh, you know, if you're worried about your kid getting into some kind of like weird cult, like, you know, it isn't that it it happens in, you know, these particular environments, like often it's, um, you know, like the right confluence of factors, you know, like it's like a Robbie who is, you know, has um, undealt with uh, mental health issues. Yeah. You know? or, it's not you know, that he played yeah. a fucking game. Yeah. Um, you know, somebody who falls into a cult is probably, you know, they're coping with some trauma or they're, um, you know, they're um, asking questions about themselves that they can't answer. And, yeah, and those you know, are usually the... marginalized people anyway without, like, some kind of social safety net or, you know, some kind of, you know, other problems that they can't deal with. Yeah, and then, um, you know, the... Um... Which is a whole angle that we they could have made so much use out of, but whatever. Yeah, and again, it's like, uh, you know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about, like, the the real tragedy of um, James Dallas Egbert's story is that this was a young, friendless, queer kid, you know, with suicidal ideation. But, you know, everybody got wrapped up in, 
in looking at push pins on a bulletin board thinking it was a message. Yeah, yeah. So don't send your gay son off to college. <laughs> yeah. That's... Well, I, I think the, the point is that we should strive to provide um, familial or lacking that adequate social support. You for... mean I got to talk to my kids? A uh, hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> it's these and, damn know, video games and maybe maybe that is a little bit that is a message a little bit in um mazes and monsters is that these parents are slightly um self-absorbed and disinterested in their children they're very wrapped up in their own problems uh superficial pursuits like um you know being wealthy in interior design like jj's mom or you know alcoholism um, yeah, yeah, like or even Robbie's, Robbie's mom. mom about like I had a life, you know, before I settled down and had kids, and it's like, oh, thanks, mom. Yeah, <laughs> like, I could have been something. It's like you're my mother. Doesn't that matter? Like, no. Nope. <sighs> yeah. Well, yeah. you know. Um... So yeah, there's an interesting. Again, there's like an ordinary people level narrative in there. Unfortunately, it has precious little to do with Dungeons and Dragons or role playing yeah. games, for that matter. But, and, um, hey, role-playing games were popular at the time. Yeah, and again, like, nobody really learned anything because there were other um, the actual crime cases that in which um, D&D was blamed as a malign influence. Um, 1984, this guy, Darren Molitor, strangled a female friend of his. And he said to the cops, essentially, I'm oversimplifying, but basically the narrative was like, oh, we were playing D&D and it got out of hand. You know, he essentially blamed Dungeons and Dragons for his behavior. People took this at face value. Now, let's think about this a little bit. If you are, uh, and I, he was like 19 at the time. So you're a teenage guy who has killed someone. And are you really going to be up front with the cops and your family and the world about why you did this. Like you're probably going to try to put at least some of the blame on external factors. Well, I can see the murderer trying to pass the buck. It's everyone else being like, yeah, that sounds right. Exactly. That, and, and that is exactly my point is in, we have this tendency, um, with, um, you know, people who commit these kind of crimes to take their statements at face value, you know, forgetting, you know, um, all the time, you know, if we did like a, a moment of self-reflection, like think of all the times like, you know, you've rationalized your own behavior or put it on factors, you know, that aren't, you know, that aren't your own um, bad decisions or, you know, may moment of moral weakness. And, yeah. you know, that's how these panics get started. Yeah, uh, Jen, you're the expert on this. Didn't like Ted Bundy say something like, "Wasn't he willing to like you know play that game about like it being Satan worshiping that uh, made him do those things?" Well, he blamed pornography. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Yeah, he was a uh, he was willing to to play play ball with whoever needed. You know the thing that ninety nine percent of men have viewed. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, just like yeah. So whether it's like. You know, porn or video games or role playing games or uh, movies or um, geez, what am I or or music? Yeah, the, the vast majority of of people enjoy those without having a psychotic break or without murdering their friends. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's it's uh, you know, not to sound like too much of a new atheist, but you know, yeah. it's a it's a failure of uh, you know rational thinking. Right. <laughs> right. Know? 
Yeah, and and because you know it's like saying you know when I say there was no cannibalism, I mean there was some. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so um, that's uh, I think that's all I have for um mazes and monsters. Um, yeah. So I'm. Are they going to remake like a, a moral panic movie about escape rooms now? Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> or, or well, I guess they kind of they already did. They were the Saw movies. Is there a fr- oh well I guess there kind of was because um like haven't there been a couple cases of people getting like really hurt in escape rooms or something? I don't know. Well, that's probably why they make you sign a waiver. Like, what do you expect? Well, yeah, yeah. but you know, again, that's just like um you know, escape room. An escape room is just like a crazier like haunted house. Like yeah. we we went to haunted houses at fucking Knott's Berry Farm on Halloween. You know. Yeah. It's like, but again, it's that thing of um oh um. People are dressing up as scary monsters or, or killers or warriors or whatever. Like, this is terrifying. It's like, well, that's kind of what you're supposed to go there for. Um, and I... it kind of, um, you know, kind of misses the point that, you know, a lot of, um, and you know, we'll call it, we'll call it all storytelling. You know, just to kind of yeah. put it under a big umbrella. This kind of storytelling is often a way for us to explore terrifying real life topics in a safe way and, and you know i would say that that also extends to things like fetish pornography yeah and or, it is like uh, role, role playing in the bedroom right and it is people who are afraid of acknowledging these things that um take issue with the way that the narrative is expressed because they find mm-hmm. the narrative itself um problematic i guess for lack of a better word um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's to, to, to deny the expression of it does not negate the impetus of whatever that, um, that motivation is like, you, you can't just, you know, uh, you know, burn all your kids role-playing game books and think that the, the desire for them was external. It was not, it was, it came from within. Yes. So, and that is a very sort of, uh, you know, postmodern approach to horror, which is, you know, the monsters aren't. You know, creatures, the monsters are us, which yes. is fine because it, it shows a, a deeper sort of uh, psychological understanding of the self, which I think is important. I, I do want to say too that um, you know, the uh, uh, you know the the Tom Hanks character of you know Pardue the holy man, like it would have been safe enough for being, for him to be a cleric, but that he went you know full holy man, I think shows that. Even in a fantasy setting, religious orthodoxy is toxic and debilitating. So I wonder if any of the you know fundamentalists uh, picked <laughs> up on that angle at all. Well, yeah, because um, he he gets so deeply into his uh, holy man role that he breaks up with his girlfriend. Like yeah, he doesn't want to sleep like with her anymore. Vow of chastity, vow of poverty. Like he's he's very um, uh, uh, was it high handed. Like it's he like, does. oh, it's great that all these other people are having fun. I will bless them. It's like, well, I kind of don't need your fucking blessing, man. <laughs> he does um, develop some incredible uh, calligraphy and illuminated manuscript skills. Did you see that thing he was working on? Yeah, that's, well, uh, the, that's what, the map. That's what monks do. You know, they, they don't <laughs> have time for listening to podcasts or, you know, watching B movies. So Or fucking. Yeah, yeah. The big one. Um, <laughs> the, the other thing, too, is that uh, so... The thing, like I, I think the you know, the irony in all this is that you know, like the the point that I that I touched on earlier is that, um, you know, like the the hysterical narrative you know of 
you know, D&D as this fantasy world of like magic and, and demons and death. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it was in, because in the movie they describe playing the game as living out the psychodrama. But in reality, it seems like it is a psychodrama played out by these hysterics who are sort of slinging this narrative that there are real demons and magic in the world. Like they're the ones not seeing this as a harmless form of entertainment, but as an actual you know, fight for one's immortal soul when in fact, like that is not the case. So, so in my opinion, you really have to wonder like who the real crazies are, who are the, the ones who are, who really are delving too far into their magical fantasies in the scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, Again, if you want to take that even further into, you know, kind of a, a postmodern interpretation, because there's a meta narrative around this at this point of, you know, D and D was a game that was then, you know, vilified by, you know, fundamentalists as this, you know, gateway to, you know, satanic, uh, you know, worship, devil worshiping, and all that other sort sort of stuff. Um, but knowing what we know. You know, and you know the current. You know, I guess if you want to call it modern age about like religious fundamentalists. Like, it seems like most people find them easily dismissed and and ideally marginalized. Like, we aren't. I, f- I feel like for the most part, people aren't succumbing to the same immoral panics and outrages. And I wonder, was the um, hysteria at the time surrounding D and D and uh, heavy metal was it a tempest in a teacup that is you know used as a uh, I don't know as a cautionary tale or a uh, or an example of you know the, those fundies are going to be you know protesting ridiculous things and you know is that a narrative that's built up around something? Well, the thing is, is that you know especially in light of our um... I think it was our previous episode, um, our premium episode about the burning hell, the evangelical scare film. I think you ig- ignore these people at, at your peril because, you know, the point that we made in that episode was that um, these people have seized the levers of power. Mm. I mean, you know, look at the vice president of the United States. Yeah, okay, that guy is a piece of shit. So, um, and, you know, again, and, you know, it was a point that we made in, uh, in the previous episode is that, um, you know, the evangelical Christian movement in the latter part of the 20th century and into the 21st century has been, has had, just wielded incredible political it's a power. disproportionate amount. Yeah. So, okay, you know, well. you, can kind of, you can kind of laugh at them getting mad at Judas Priest, but, you know, behind the scenes, uh, they're, they're voting and agitating and putting their people into power yeah well there's a real terrifying thought so there is your satan's hand at work man yeah (laughs) (laughs) well maybe that's why they see conspiracy and everything (laughs) i mean you know if you know all you have is a hammer yeah oh shoot uh one other cast note that i forgot to make um the goreville um the very silly looking monster Mm -hmm. of uh robbie's hallucinations was played by kevin peter hall aka the predator Wow. Well, mm-hmm. the guy knew his stuff. <laughs> and, um, you know, actually, like, he and, you know, Kevin Peter Hall, as a uh, few of may, you may know, actually, I, he, he died extremely young. Died in his 30s uh, because he got uh, HIV from a blood transfusion. Yikes. 
So I believe that by the by the early '90s, he had already passed away. It's very sad. That is sad. So, um, but you know, the pro- we'll we'll say that the Predator was his legacy, not Mazes and Monsters. I don't know. I mean, I can't think. Look at Tom Hanks without thinking Star of Mazes and Monsters. <laughs> Pardew the Holy Man. Yes. I hear that Tom Hanks did some other movies, but eh, you know, like maybe I've seen a couple of them. I don't know. Maybe you have too. Yeah, well, it's not hey, like if he's you know become one of the other... biggest stars of the, in the yeah, entire world. If you know any other lost uh, Tom Hanks classics, uh, tweet him at uh, Histpod, <laughs> and we might do we might do him on on the show. Yeah, you know, maybe we'll cover uh, Philadelphia or. <laughs> <laughs> Is that another role playing game theme movie? Because that's what he did, right? He did like all game theme movies after. That, right? <laughs> he got really pigeonholed. <laughs> yeah, sad. The, the poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, poor, poor Tom Hanks. Um, is there anything else that we want to say about mazes and monsters? Um, I think that the uh, fifth edition of Mazes and Monsters cleared up a lot of ambiguity in uh, the fourth version. <laughs> uh, it streamlined a lot of role playing from 3.5. I know a lot of people still like 3.5, but I think uh, Mazes and Monsters 5 is a much cleaner system. And that, that's the last word on advanced mazes and monsters. Yeah. Is that the sequel? Mm-hmm.